0: May the merits of these teachings benefit all beings. May these words help and not harm. May they clarify and not confuse. May they self-liberate, leaving no trace
1: of me. Good morning,
0: good afternoon if you're in Europe. It is so good to sit with you, to spend the weekend with you in this way. Um, This is the one time where I allow myself to do the talk without notes. So may I not ramble. Um, May it come from um, the Dharma itself and from the silence that we've been creating together. So what I wanted to talk about is uh, Buddhahood. In um, in Buddhism in general, and and certainly in, in Zen, we speak of enlightenment as Samyak, Sambodhi. And uh, the Buddha's complete realization as anuttara samyak sambodhi. And the reason I wanted to speak about it today um, is because of um, what I've been hearing from you and from others recently. And as I was reflecting on this, I, I was thinking, you know, I. I say the same thing all the time, sometimes in slightly different ways, sometimes in pretty much the same way. <laughs> and um, that is just how it is. Um, I would bring the same te- things to my teacher, sometimes for years. And I would re- and I would say to him, you know, I am so sorry that I just keep bringing this to him. And he would just nod. <laughs> and now some of you are saying exactly the same things to me. And I just nod you know, and smile, because that's what happens. I mean, that's what it takes. We have to hear it over and over and over again. And it is very much like a, like a fruit, like a flower opening, like a fruit ripening. There's a point in which we're ready and it blooms and we get it. And the nice thing is that then it's harder to forget. You, you, you can, if you stop practicing, you could, but if you continue to practice, certain things start to really go deep. And so a good part of it is repetition and being exposed to the teachings over and over again. And so some of what I've been hearing frequently lately is um, a very insistent, sometimes very overt, sometimes very subtle belief that there is something wrong. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with the circumstances or at the very least there's something wrong with the way I'm seeing them. And I want to tell you today that that is not the case. That when we say the the teaching that is so highlighted in Zen that samsara is Nirvana is exactly describing how things are. That there is no point at which you will through some great insight Transcend the circumstances in which you find yourself now, whether those are living with pain, living with emotional turmoil, living just with your everyday blindnesses. And by that I don't mean that you will always be suffering in the way that you may be suffering now, or that things will continue to be the way they are now. In fact, they will not. How they will change, we don't know, but they won't stay the same. But what I mean is what I say often, what pretty much every teacher says at some point, is that you will become liberated to whatever extent you're able and is your karma and is the product of your practice within the very circumstances in which you find yourselves right now. So even though we speak of liberation from, really it, it really what we should say is liberation in, right? Or liberation within. And so when you think of Buddhahood, And this is a Mahayana teaching, as, as I'm sure you know. It, it doesn't actually appear, the, the term Buddhahood does not appear in the sutras in the Pali Canon as far as I'm aware. It is, a, it is a Mahayana concept. And it is very much tied into the concept of the Tathagata Garba, the womb of the vastness. Of so, so there's a potential And whether You will give birth to it or not, as I said, depends on a number of things. And Daito Roshi would always say, very frustratingly, I think, for some, you know, some may realize it, some may not. And either way, it's okay. Because that does not erase or negate in any way your Buddhahood. That Inherent, not just perfection, it is perfection, but 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 think of it as your utter selfness, your utter normness, Adam Ness, Laura Ness, that that you are working so hard in this and probably other ways to more fully not just not become who you are because you already are who you are, to more fully live who you are, manifest who you are. So that's, there's that famous koan between the national teacher and I cannot remember, I was trying to remember, I couldn't remember who the other teacher is. Let's say it's a monk and the monk is sitting in Zazen. And the national teacher, yang uh, walks by and says, what are you doing? And the monk says, well, I'm, I'm sitting zazen. Why? Why are you sitting zazen? And the monk says, to become a Buddha. And So, so the national teacher picks up a, a brick and starts polishing it. Of course, the monk has to ask, what are you doing? I'm making a mirror, says the national teacher. You can't make a mirror by polishing a brick. You can become a Buddha by sitting zazen. And yet we just spent a weekend sitting zazen. And that is why sometimes people think that Zen is irrational, right? That we just go around doing crazy things and crazy gestures. Zen is actually extremely rational
1: in its insistence
0: on erasing those lines between rational and irrational, between thought and realization, despite the fact that you are working to let go of thoughts. The fact is you can realize yourself without thought or outside of thought. You can have even the tiniest insight. So that is the paradox, right? The constant paradox that we're using mind to realize mind which cannot be fathomed through mind, not in the usual way. And now that I have been engaging with with some of you, you know, doing more cons, so for so long, I did them myself, right, with my teacher, my teachers, and I was so immersed in it and suffering with the process, and, you know, it was all I could do just to do what I was doing. Now that I'm able to have a little bit of a, a, more of a bird's eye view, or I'm able to 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 feel the process a little bit more and then work with each of you and then see, well, how does this work? And what's what's the the most skillful way to work with each of you? Learning as I do it. Sometimes scaring people away, unfortunately. That's part of it. Um, now that I'm in this process, I once again, am bowled over by the uniqueness and the power of this spiritual tool. That is not even, I mean, yes, a koan, but it's, that is what I have spoken to, to this group in different ways a number of times about, and it's inquiry, the power of inquiry, and not just with the, the head. Certainly not just with the intellect, but bringing the entirety of your being to a question. And the incredible, perhaps unequaled power of this sort of inquiry. And it is not even the only the, the, the purview of, of religion. I think the great, some of the great scientific discoveries, some of the, the the best art that we have is is the result of something like this, of of a grappling of the whole being to understand and express reality. It's just that in our tradition, we we harness that power very deliberately. We learn how how to harness it and how to use it. And I see much of my work as as just helping you to get rid of, you know, we speak of the brambles and it really is that. It's like this gnarled tangle of, of stuff that doesn't let you see what is right there in front of you. And that is so much of what you're learning. That is so much of what you're learning to do in Zazen is just to let, in fact, you're not even, cutting off the brambles, you're just letting them wither and fall away by themselves by not fighting with them, by not engaging them. And the truth is that the moment you sit down on this cushion, and you turn toward your breath, in that moment, you're already engaging the totality of Buddhahood. It doesn't feel that way, but it's true. And that's why I say, you know, sometimes people are impatient, you know, they want to work on koans or they want to um, do shikantasa. They've heard of it. They've read about it and they just want to do it. And I say to them, you know, the Buddha didn't do a single koan in his life. He did okay.
1: It's not necessary it's just helpful, it's useful.
0: And as many of you know, I've actually turned the first koan that I normally work with people with, I've, I've, I've um, turned the breath into that. And so we're constantly engaging this very, mysterious and sometimes frustrating, sometimes puzzling process in which we are trying to stop all our doing, all our meddling, all our, all our creating, so that we can see what is clearly there. And at the same time, there has to be effort. We can't just sit there, as my teacher used to say, like a bump on a log. Something needs to be happening. You're, you're engaging it. As one of you said to me just recently, it has to be active. Exactly. But how is it active without more creating? That's the question. And that is so much of what, what we're learning. At every stage of practice, I would say regardless of what the object of your meditation is, what it is that you're actually working with, you're learning how to do and not do,
1: not too much of either.
0: For some reason, the image that is coming to mind, um, as I say that is of a, of a gift, kind of like unwrapping a gift. And the thing is already there, but you have to take the wrapping off so you can see it, so you can use it. If you just leave it in the box, leave it on your shelf, I mean, it looks pretty, you can't do anything with it. Sometimes I think, you know, I look back on my own path and most of the time I did too much. Most of the time, I just worked too hard because I didn't know how to do it differently. And I think because I, didn't, I wasn't ready to trust that I didn't have to, that there was a very delicate balance between that effort, that striving that the Buddha spoke of and um, a, a real surrender into the process, a real allowing for that being that wanted, wants still to come out, to live, to manifest itself, to do that freely in a a very natural way. I feel like I'm still very much, very much learning that. How to not contrive in my Zazen, how to not contrive when I'm working with you, how to not contrive when I'm just going about my life and working and doing things. And I've mentioned to, to a couple of you, I think, you know, the, this fatigue that I've, that I've had has actually been really helpful in that way, in a very, very ironic way, because I just don't have the energy to keep forcing things in the way that I used to. And so I've been in this really interesting place where I just, there are days when I truly had no choice but to surrender. And what has
1: come out of that has been, what's the word?
0: Well, first of all, so much easier. I don't want to say truer because the part of me that, that works too hard, tries too hard is also true to me. It just feels
1: more aligned.
0: And perhaps just slightly, maybe just slightly more mature. That I don't have to keep
1: pushing. That I can trust.
0: That I am taken care of. Relka has this beautiful poem, and I'm not going to remember it, but, but at the end of it, it says something like, you know, if, you, if, you have, if you're feeling the sadness and you're feeling overwhelmed by the sadness, uh, something like, know that the world has you in its hand.
1: I guess I'm trusting that more. in my Zazen and the rest of my life. And so, no one can
0: really tell you, I mean, sometimes you ask me and I, and I do my best to, to say what I see Right? or to reflect what I see of what might be helpful at a particular point in your path. But really, truly, I think I said this on Wednesday, Right, the, 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 the only one who truly knows, the one who's truly the authority of you is you. And I remember my, my, my teacher, especially towards the end of my training, Shugen Roshi, saying to me, You 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 need to more and more become your own teacher. And he felt very strongly about that. And he had done that same process, you know, as as he was finishing his training. And then, of course, as he started to teach and continued. Because he said, you know, there are things that I will that I will see, that I will offer to you, but then there will be things that I that I won't, or I won't see in the same way. And so it's up to you to recognize what those things are, what will help you and to nourish yourself in that way. And the fact is, is, I think that's true all along the way, not just when you're finishing your training, right? It's helpful to have a teacher, it's helpful to have a guide, someone to point, but that each of you is hopefully very actively, engaged with yourself, right? And your life and your practice and asking, what do I need? What is the skillful means right now? Not what I think it should be, but what is it truly right now? You know, and, and most of us here, many of us here have trained in a very rigorous environment. And it has been so interesting and difficult and humbling and wonderful for me to be outside of that environment and to figure out how to practice with integrity in the place where I find myself, both physically and emotionally and spiritually, to not keep comparing to how it was and to hold that as the, as the standard, because then I will constantly be disappointed. To let this be not just enough, but everything I need. And sometimes it is challenging. You know, sometimes I do wish I could do what I did before. Of course. And that too, I accept, you know, as as part of it, you know, of this this increasing um, acceptance of my life as it is now. I used to fight all the time. And I guess I had the energy for it i used to fight myself i used to fight the circumstances i used to you know, i used to rebel constantly i'm just very quiet about it sometimes not so quiet
1: all the time
0: fighting Just don't have the energy for it anymore. But the nice thing is I also don't have the will for it anymore. That's just not how I want to spend my time. Not anymore.
1: Because I want my energy for this, for my life.
0: And sometimes, you know, I wish I don't know how to say it so you'll believe me <laughs> that where you are and what you're doing is exactly right and exactly what you need to be doing, even when it feels shitty. Because sometimes it is. I mean, how many times have I said just living as a human being is hard and it's wondrous,
1: but it is hard.
0: How do we not fight that? We get these stories of of the Buddha, and because they're the sutras, you know, they're they're very they're very cleaned up, and you know, forget about the Mahayana ones. I mean, that is the Buddha is radiant and his splendor and omniscient and etc. But in the in the the sutras where he's still human, you know. We don't hear about his struggles, except for that, that whole sequence of the, the ascetic practices. I mean, he really put himself in the ringer there. But we don't hear. Actually, a fellow teacher was just telling us the other day that there is a sutra in which the Buddha, I didn't know about this, in which the Buddha assigns a practice to a couple of monastics, and then I guess goes off, he must have been traveling or whatever, and either they did not understand the instructions correctly or it was not the right practice for them. When he comes back, they've killed themselves. Imagine what that must have felt like. That happened to the Dalai Lama as well. So every single one of us, no, no, no matter how realized, will struggle, will we'll hurt,
1: will regret, probably. I would imagine there was some form of regret there for him. And I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, yes. You
0: know, that the, the we have sometimes these, these um, very highly realized models of practice. And as I was saying just a moment ago, sometimes very high standards for practice. And I think that is wonderful. We're very lucky. I feel so incredibly lucky to have had the kind of training that I have, that I've had. And within that, if there's one thing I wish was that I had started to soften just a little earlier, a little sooner, and it didn't happen. So I'm not going to beat myself up for it, but now that's what I'm sharing with you, you know, to, to, to hold both sides, right. That, that, that rigor and the, the seriousness, the earnestness of our vows, of our commitment with a. With a very, very generous
1: um, softening, allowance of how we are now,
0: you know, in, in this moment. And I've said how, in, in, in some ways, I've been so grateful you know, for Zoom because despite its limitations, it's giving us quite a bit of freedom, right? You can come and go in a way that you wouldn't if you were doing Sishin, certainly at the monastery, Zen Mountain Monastery in person. You can choose to lie down and practice that way if you need to. You can take care of your baby if she needs care. And none of that has to interfere with your practice. That's what I want to highlight. None of it is an obstacle
1: if you don't make it into one.
0: I have days when I wake up naturally at four and I'm ready to go and I can sit for a couple of hours and I just do all the things that I want to do need to do. And there are the two nap days.
1: And everything in between. And I am grateful for both for all of it. And so If you don't
0: already, allow me to suggest that when you open your eyes in the morning, if you have an altar, when you stand in front of your altar and you're doing your, your morning liturgy, or you're simply just, you know, just, just bringing to mind your, your aspiration, In your own words, let it include something like, may I not just realize, but may I live into my perfection. Today, exactly as I am today. Not later when I will feel better, when I will have more energy, when I will be more focused, but right now. However that looks and let me
1: offer that to the world.